Hey, you guys, I want to let you know about Book of the Month, an exciting service that helps readers discover great new books while also promoting the work of emerging authors. Every month, the editorial team at Book of the Month reads through hundreds of new titles. They do the curating for you. They narrow it down to five to seven of the best new books on the market, and you get to choose your Book of the Month. To sign up, just visit bookofthemonth.com. And for a limited time, you can get your first book for just $9.99 by using the offer code CHIRP, C-H-I-R-P. I should add that Book of the Month recently launched curated audiobooks in addition to hardcovers, so members have options. You can choose one or the other, either the hardcover edition or the audiobook. And if you pick the audiobook, you can download it and listen to it right there in the Book of the Month app. My latest pick is a novel called Anita DeMonte Laughs Last by Sochil Gonzalez. It tells the story of a forgotten art star of the 1980s who died tragically and whose life and work and memory are later unearthed by an art history student. This is right up my alley. I can't wait to read it. So if you want to sign up for Book of the Month, remember, go to bookofthemonth.com and for a limited time, Get your first book for just $9.99 by using the code CHIRP, C-H-I-R-P. One more time, that's bookofthemonth.com. Use the code CHIRP and get reading. Okay, hello. What is going on out there? This is The Other People Show. I'm Brad Listy here in Los Angeles, California. How is everybody? Happy holidays. It is Friday, so it's time for another flashback episode where I dig into the other people archives and share an outtake from one of my older episodes out of the past. Don't forget to subscribe to this show wherever you listen. You can also subscribe on YouTube, follow the other people podcast on social media, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, and blue sky. So today I'm going to be going back several years to August 31st, 2014, episode 308, my conversation with poet Michael Earl Craig. Michael Earl Craig is originally from Dayton, Ohio. And he is the author of several acclaimed poetry collections. Most recently, a book called Iggy Horse, which was published by Wave Books just this past spring. His other collections include Wood and Clouds Interchangeable, Talkativeness, Thin Kimono, Yes Master, Can You Relax in My House?, and a chapbook called John Bang Jet. Michael Earl Craig lives in the Shields Valley near Livingston, Montana, where he runs a full-time farrier practice. From 2015 through 2017, he was the poet laureate of the state of Montana. An outtake from episode 308, my conversation with Michael Earl Craig is coming up momentarily. So a quick reminder before we get rolling that I do an email newsletter each week. You can subscribe to that for free over at bradlisty.substack.com. 
The newsletter lives online at Substack. It goes out once a week. It's pretty simple. I let you know about the latest episodes of this podcast. I also share a list of links to things that I've been reading and finding interesting. So if that sounds good, if you want to hear from me in your inbox each week, just head on over to bradlesty.substack.com and subscribe. Likewise, there is another People Patreon community. It would be great if you join that. Help keep this show going into the future over at patreon.com slash otherpplpod. You can get merchandise, t-shirt, tote bag, coffee mug. You can get a book club subscription, all of that over at patreon.com slash otherpplpod. Okay, so let's get to today's flashback. Once again, I'm going to be sharing an outtake from episode 308, my conversation with poet Michael Earl Craig. This episode first aired on August 31st, 2014. A reminder that the full episode is available in the feed. So if you like what you hear in this flashback and you would like to listen to the full presentation, Go get it. Episode 308. Search for it. It's there. And you can hear Michael Earl Craig and me talking at length. All right? So here we go. Another flashback. This is Michael Earl Craig. And I see just about really no houses. So it's very rolling hills, mountains in the distance, and... I'm in my living room. Okay. So I, I, I guess I kind of want to start with your biography uh, because to me, I, there's something sort of uh, mythical about you in my, in my personal internet life. I think there are people out there in like uh, the literary world uh, who read you online or who you know, read your books and then read your bio who are thinking like, what's he up to up in Montana? Because I remember when we published you on The Nervous Breakdown years ago, uh, I read your poem. I was immediately struck by it. I was like, this is really great. And then I looked at the bio and it's like, you know, he's a certified journeyman farrier who shoes horses for a living up in Montana. <laughs> and I'm like, that's not what I usually read. Usually it's like, you know, they got their MFA here and here. They teach here. Uh, how did you get into shoeing horses? Well, <clears throat> I, um, I, let's see, all through my 20s when I was in undergrad which was in Missoula, Montana, and also graduate school, I would spend my summers working in the mountains or, you know, for outfitters and guest ranches, things like that, Um, guiding rides, packing game out of the mountains during hunting camps sometimes, things like that. And I got exposed to shoeing just just enough for emergencies and to kind of help the, the, whoever I was working for periodically, but um, but in 1997 I um, was still in graduate school at UMass and I had a summer break and I decided I'd ride a horse across the state of Montana. So I came out here and and did that. I had a couple months to ride as far as I could and I I did ride for two months and on that trip. I met, and, and this will happen to you if you are going three miles an hour across a very large state on a horse, you will meet other horse people, and among them, 
veterinarians and farriers, and I'd never thought about um, that being a career, becoming a farrier, but I met probably seven or eight different professional horseshoers, and and I only had one more year at UMass, so I went back and finished up that last year, and I had really been wondering what the what the hell I was going to do when I got when I finished that program, and I had just been exposed that summer before to all these professional farriers, and I thought, what the heck, I'll give this a try. So okay, so and you were educated uh, like in, in studying literature and poetry. Yes, but yeah, my I, undergraduate work was in Missoula at the University of Montana, and that was the uh, English department. My my major was English Lit, but I also fulfilled the whole all of the creative writing, just not accidentally, but just in addition. I I, t- I took uh, creative writing, poetry classes, and fiction the, that whole time, and then and then my graduate oh, for graduate school I went. In um, 1995, to UMass, and it, it right in Amherst. Okay, and so and you and did you zero in on poetry for your MFA, or was it still fiction poetry yeah. hybrid? Yeah, it, I, it was pure straight straight. Uh, all of it was poetry, and really, that's what I did as an undergrad. I started out in the very beginning, um, interested in fiction and, and also essay writing, but my um, Teachers kind of quickly pointed out that I didn't, I was never, I wasn't writing. I didn't know how to tell a story the way they, I didn't have, I wasn't writing fiction. You're writing something more like poetry. And so pretty early on, my fiction writers pointed me down the hall, you know, to the poetry department. So that most of my undergrad was poetry as well. Okay. And so, and, but I mean, like in terms of finding your voice and, um, figuring out that you were a poet, like were there were there poets that like sparked you and you said, okay, this is what I want to do, uh, or this is the, the, you know they're kind of doing something similar to what I'm trying to do, mm. or was it teachers that we, we did you know did the teachers who told you you know you're good at this, this is what you're doing, was that the big influence? Well, that was just uh, that yeah, it's a good it's a good question. That was. I didn't take it. I wasn't offended. I understood what they meant. You know, I would, I would work all week, you know, all week or for however much time on the my story, and and bring it in, and it would be you know a page and a half, and other people would have fifteen pages, and so I think I think in what it was that they were noticing is everything was condensed and lots of things were stripped out, and the story jumped. I just remember this one teacher saying, you know, this page and a half really moves, like, it doesn't move like, fic- like fiction. This isn't a successful story. Um, so, you know, I do, but it's funny because the first poet, the first book of poetry that I ever remember buying was, therefore, uh, Raymond Carver's Aquamarine. Okay. And that's because I loved. I just, I just was had had been reading all of his stories, and I loved him. And I and um, and then I was told, you know, you're kind of writing poetry. <laughs> so I looked around to see what some of these fiction writers. He comes to mind um, at the top of that list who were also writing uh, poetry. So I remember just pouring over Aquamarine, and and loving. He basically would in in, a, in 
18, 20, 30 lines. He would he would do everything for me that he that he did in some of his you know four or five page stories. That's interesting. So compression is big. I mean, obviously with with poetry, you're always trying to you know maximize impact word for word. But uh, you know, with you in terms of like you know narrative in particular, um, you know narrative poems, even those that jump around and aren't necessarily linear. Um, you know, were you thinking explicitly compression, or was this just something that, like, intuitively you were doing? So, uh, not thinking at all. That, that's the thing. I don't. <laughs> I wasn't thinking about compression, and just like I don't think about narrative drive at all. But uh, but people are all, well. Not quite often they'll point out that I do that a lot in my poetry. There's, and so yeah. I mean, I I'm not. I'm not saying it's not there. I, I see that it is there, but yeah, I was, I was just sort of driven or moved toward that. You know, my favorite, my favorite uh, things in, in those Raymond Carver stories would be those kind of weird details that just he that just were dangling, and then he would move on. And and not you know, I, I'm I'm not saying he's the only writer. That, that I ever read that did that. But I just remember the, the stripped-down quality of the stories was even more stripped-down when I started to look at his poems. And then from there, I just kind of moved into, you know, all kinds of different poets. But he he was probably one of the very first books, or that book was, that I ever got. Okay, so, and then in terms of, like, your, your, your education, um, you know, like, coming out of high school, like, first of all, where, where are you from? Hmm. I am from Dayton, Ohio. Okay, so Midwest. The Midwest, yeah. All right, so grew up in Ohio, um, and w- like literary leanings as a child? No. None? Not not at all, and my parents, um, we, d- we weren't real at all book people. I mean, they, yeah, they, I actually, they didn't listen to um, music or read books or talk about books at really at all. And so it's sort of strange. I don't really know what happened, but I, but people often wonder that my, my, my parents are both still alive and everybody gets along. We hang out all the time. I just was with them about a week ago. And so it's, so I, I say that with all, you know, without any, it's not like I'm, but yeah, there was not a literary household at all. Siblings. Siblings. I have an older sister and a younger brother. Okay, and so, but like when, and then in high school, you weren't like on the school paper or like you know writing funny skits for your friends or something. Um, you know, I actually I I excelled. I always did well in my English classes, and I you know I I I could blow off all my classes, which I did in, in high school, and um, and but still get easy A's in the English classes, whereas I would blow off math and everything else and and get a D or an F. Um, but, yeah, so, I, you know, I wasn't writing for the, pap- for the paper, but I, I uh, or anything like that, but I definitely got into the writing assignments that English teachers would have us do. Okay. And then were they encouraging? Were they like, you know, you can do this or... Did you get yeah, it? yeah, I, I I think so. Yeah, I, I had some really good teachers in high school, and um, although I don't remember reading any contemporary poetry um, at all, and 
it, it, it really um yeah in high school later, in, in high school it was like you read like the raven or you know it was I, yeah that was kind of my education as well i don't yeah. think i don't remember reading or like what was the uh wordsworth poem or the, what's the one, yeah. um, the the Night of the Ancient Mariner or whatever? Is that Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner? Rhyme, yeah, yeah. Rhyme, yeah, Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. So, yeah, yeah. That, that kind of stuff. Oh, you, we read all that, but the idea that there were people that were just maybe six or eight or ten years older than than me that were really seriously writing poems and publishing books, there was no, I had no concept at all, um, you know, that any of that was going on. Whereas, now I'll vis- I visit periodically this high school in Livingston, and I'll be like kind of be jump in there and teach some poetry classes and things with them. And and that teacher, this friend of mine in Livingston, you know, he has them reading all kinds of really great contemporary stories and poetry. And I just think that it's very different from what I, my experience in high school. Yeah, well, so but it sounds it sounds like you had like a happy family and like a happy childhood. Yeah, that, yeah, that's the other thing. <laughs> yes, like, pretty much. That can be that can be a detrimental to a poet's career. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I I kept I kept thinking, well, you know, at some point I I'm going to need to get some more chaos, <laughs> and uh, I need to stir things up. And but yeah, no, I, I get along with the entire family and uh and i don't even have any real problem with where i grew up i mean ohio dayton it's just it's sort of strange i'm glad you knew you mentioned that it's midwestern a lot of people when i say ohio they immediately think they say they'll say you know oh the east well it's you know it's not the east at all no well no my sister went to ud so i i've spent some time in dayton and You've been there, and I'm from Indiana, so like I, you know, I grew up a stone's throw from where you you were raised. Oh yeah, so you you know, UD was a probably a four minute bike ride without even pedaling downhill to get right to the to the ghetto, the UD sure yeah ghetto yeah. So I I mean I grew up right on Brown the whole area Brown Street, um, and so yeah, I don't even have a problem with with that. I mean I I just think. Um, I don't know. Yeah, my childhood was. It's not like there were, were no nothing, no bad things that ever happened, but it wasn't uh, traumatic. I don't look. I don't. I don't really draw upon that any struggle in my writing like that. And so, and you say your parents weren't uh, literary or like into music or anything. Like, what did they? What did your like old man do? Like what? Okay, my my dad was a um, lung doctor, pulmonologist, pulmonary specialist. And um, his excuse for not really knowing who the Beatles were um, (laughs) was that he was just too busy, and he's being totally serious. He's not being a a smartass or anything. My parents are just like, well... I think we we knew that we'd heard of the Beatles, okay? <laughs> but we, as far as, ah, you know, then there's a pause and they'll look at each other. Because I, I've had this conversation a number of years back where I, 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 I said, you know, do you remember any of that? Because when I grew up, I thought that's how everybody's parents were. And then I got a little older and I realized some of my 
friends had parents who had these killer album collections. Right, right. No, I'm, and, the, I'm the same way. My parents are exactly the same way. <laughs> yeah, and and I'd be I'd think, wait a minute, did you? I mean, not a single album. Right. Nothing. My my dad had, and I, I hope this doesn't sound. God, he's got it. He's going to listen. <laughs> <laughs> but my dad did have Barbra Streisand on eight track. <laughs> my and he, my mom. Did your dad have that? No, my mom's my mom's a big Streisand fan. My dad's into James Brown. Like that's the one. I mean, yeah. and like I, I say into him, and I mean like knew his songs and like would say he liked him, but like he, it's not like he had any albums, you know. But it was like right. the, the one thing I can remember musically, which is so at odds. Like if you met my dad, you wouldn't think James Brown. <laughs> yeah. But. Yeah, I mean, in fact, the Barbra Streisand was probably one of those greatest hits things that he, you know, got at the gas station or something like that. I don't know, but but it's um in books, no 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 talk about politics at the dinner table, um, but also no arguing, no throwing things around. I mean, it was just uh, it just was a uh, it just it it didn't occur to me that it was an unusual or household and maybe it's not that unusual until i i developed friends and then heard their stories and i'd think wow that's quite different well you know but the thing is though i because i don't know where like i don't know where your folks are from originally but like my parents are from the south and you know they came of age in the 60s and you know went to college in the 60s and the early you know i guess yeah it would have been the 1960s and uh, but they were down at LSU in Louisiana, and like that part of the country didn't get the same '60s that the coasts got, you know. And so, yeah. I think that the popular culture that emerged out of that time and that really disseminated in the later years and into the '70s, you know, we then ingested that um, in our childhoods, and it's just assumed that like back in those days, everybody was on that same page, but it it really wasn't the case. Right, and that's a good point because my parents are both from. Ohio. My dad's from a small town, Xenia, and my mom is from Dayton. And so, and also they were born in the mid '30s. So they, they were. He was. My parents were kind of getting, trying to get through medical school and in, in their in their 20s and late 20s, and and so they probably were. You know, uh, just not. They weren't partying, and they weren't. Uh, they just missed that. I think it, maybe if they would have just been a little bit uh, farther born in like the, around 1940 even or the early 40s, that they right. probably would have been more in the middle of all that. But they 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 weren't. And so the the house, um, but, the, but it's so strange because I love uh, music, books, film. I mean, I just, I don't know where it, really it came from, but I just... And my, my my mom's has more than once. She just says, "I don't know where that all comes." From. <laughs> you don't have any kind of like relative, like you don't have like a crazy uncle or something where you're like, "Okay, that's that's me." Well, yeah, actually, my mom's brother, um, he he just passed away about a oh in March this year. But he um, he was an English teacher. He taught high school English, and and uh, he was always. That's where somewhere on that side of the I don't know, but he he is definitely one one place to point where he uh, yeah, he was always reading and listening to stuff. Not necessarily pop and rock. He was into really into classical music, but yes, something going on there for sure. All right, everybody, there we go. Today's flashback. 
Michael Earl Craig from uh, episode 308. It first aired on August 31st, 2014. Don't forget that the full episode, episode 308, is available in the feed. So if you want to hear the rest of that conversation, go in for the full hour, have at it. Just search for episode 308. Michael Earl Craig does not, to the best of my knowledge, maintain a personal internet presence, though there is information and poems and there's stuff you can read about him online. His latest collection, once again, is called Iggy Horse, available from Wave Books. Don't forget to subscribe to this show wherever you listen. You can also subscribe on YouTube. Follow the Other People podcast on social media, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, and Blue Sky. Subscribe to my weekly email newsletter. It's free. You can do that at bradlisty.substack.com. It's a great way to keep up with the show and keep up with what I'm reading and finding interesting. If you would like to join the Other People Patreon community, that would be ideal. Just go over to patreon.com slash otherpplpod. It's the thing to do if you listen to this show on a regular basis, if you really love it, if you get something from it. Show some support this holiday season. Patreon.com slash otherpplpod. If you have a couple of minutes and you want to help me out a little bit, please give this show a rating wherever you listen. So Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen, rate the show, review the show. It helps the show in the rankings and the algorithm. It helps it find new listeners. If you want to get another people t-shirt, you can do that at the show's official website, otherppl.com. And last but not least, if you want to get my latest book, it is a novel called Be Brief and Tell Them Everything, available now in trade paperback, ebook, and audiobook editions. I narrate the audiobook. So it's a book. It's mine. You can read it if you want to. It's called Be Brief and Tell Them Everything. All right. So on Sunday, there will be a brand new craft work episode. Very exciting. I will be in conversation with my old friend, Melissa Broder, author most recently of a novel called Death Valley. We are going to be having a deep dive discussion on Sunday, all about meditation and how it can help you with your creative writing. So isn't that exciting? 